Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. 1 Samuel 20, 16. Then Jonathan rose up and Abner sat down by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not speak anything that day, for he thought, well, it's an accident. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. Now, what's going on here is that it's a religious festival around the new moon. It would include some sort of sacrifice. Therefore, maybe David, Saul conjectures, touched a dead carcass of an animal. You can see this in Leviticus chapter 7. And maybe he's temporary, temporarily unclean. And some of these things you would do something maybe accidentally and just be unclean until evening. You can look at Leviticus 7 verse 20, 21. You can look at Leviticus eleven twenty-five and 28. So he sees the empty place at the table, but Saul's first inclination is to say, well, maybe he's, he's just unclean and he's decided not to come so we'll look for him tomorrow night. But when you think that Saul's thinking might be a little wider, like maybe my son-in-law doesn't want to come to dinner anymore because I've tried to kill him about four times. <laughs> now we'll go for the ritual uncleanness thing. You've tried to kill him four times, Dad. I wouldn't be coming to dinner. I don't care if you had good pizza or whatever. What's going on? I'm not coming. But Saul is just so whacked out, he doesn't apparently think of it. And it came about the next day, the second day of the new moon, that David's place was empty. So Saul said to Jonathan, his son, now here it comes, why has the son of Jesse, he won't even call him David, not come to the meal, either yesterday or today? See, everybody's having a nice time at dinner, and all of a sudden, uh-oh. You have family dinners like that? It's that one question that everybody's hoping won't be asked, and then it gets asked, and oh. <laughs> there a football game on? Here they go. Where's the son of Jesse? Why is he not at the meal? Jonathan then answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me, to go to Bethlehem, for he said, Please let me go. Since our family has a sacrifice in the city, my brother has commanded me to attend. This would be probably his older brother. Now if I have found favor in your sight, David was the youngest, so everybody would be an older brother. Please let me get away that I may see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. <laughs> now, I was wondering what your reaction would be after I said that. I have never used this line, ever. I do not know if Saul's wife was at the table she may have tried to grab the spear after this. I don't know. <laughs> why, why did she come into it? <laughs> Anna, anyway. Do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse 
to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness. Now, what's really happening here? Um, The language could be taken a few ways, uh, but actually the perverse and rebellious one is not Saul's wife. The perverse, rebellious one is Saul. He's throwing the barbs, but he's the man who's causing all the problems. But he just can't see it. And so Jonathan has made his choice to follow the anointed one instead of his own father. And his dad knows it. So he's put some sort of guilt trip on his son. This is a ploy, and I'm going to give you two application points that I think are really important tonight that the enemy will throw our way. The language here of what Saul has said is you are bringing shame to this family. Like exposing your mother's nakedness. It's something like that in the Hebrew. You know what you're doing to this family by choosing him over us? What's wrong with you? You see what he's trying to do? This is a guilt ploy. Sometimes as a Christian, we feel torn. Sometimes we feel torn between what the Bible says and the opinions of people who are within our family circle. And we're like, well, what do I do here? There's emotions and feelings and all of this stuff. And then there's going to be a ploy for personal self-interest. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore now send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. Two ploys of the enemy, a guilt play, and in your best interest, son, it's not to follow this man. You're shaming your own family and... It's not going to be good for your own future. Your family and your future. Right? You know, some people end up coming to Jesus Christ and their family members are not happy about it. In fact, they will try to shame them out of following Christ or they'll say something like this to them. You know, it's not in your best interest to follow the Lord because uh, these Christians, you know what they do, they... They give money to the church. and <laughs> You know? Maybe the enemy's been pounding on you about these things. But Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, why should he be... Why should he be put to death? What has he done? He's repeating really what David said at the beginning of the chapter. What has he done, Dad? And Saul hurled his spear at him. I mean, this is a guy that you don't want to get upset. You might want to talk to him, you know, after the ice cream's been served. I don't know. I mean, if you were so concerned about your son and the future throne that you are hoping that he'll sit on, why are you now trying to kill him? Would be a good next question. If that's your main concern, Saul, why are you hurling spears at your son? 
because now he's so closely associated Jonathan with David that he's doing the same thing to Jonathan that he wants to do to David, namely pin him to the wall. And a lot of persecution that comes the way of the Christian, even Paul recognized this in the New Testament, was things that the world wants to do to Christ, they do to Christians. Saul, Saul, Jesus says to Saul in Acts 9, why are you persecuting? When you do this to my people, you're doing it to me. And Paul, when he would write later, some, in some way, uh, in, in the language of the New Testament, says, I'm even taking some of the persecution that they want to bring at Christ, but they can't get at him. So I'm the next best target. And dad hurled the spear to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. I mean, that was a pretty good uh, indication. One writer said, the spear missed Jonathan, but he got the point. <laughs> yeah. And now the son has become the enemy of the father. Turn to Matthew chapter 10, if you would, for a second. Jesus said some words about this that I think we need to see. Matthew 10, directly addressing um, his disciples. Matthew 10, look at verse 28. Right after he talks about not fearing those who can kill the body, and then they can't do anything after that. Um, He says, do not fear those who can kill the body, 1028 Matthew, but are unable to kill the soul. You have a soul. Jesus just confirmed it. He just made a distinction between your body and your soul. You have a soul that will live on. Jesus said you do. Do you believe Jesus? You can watch all the shows about afterlife experiences and near-death experiences. Jesus said you have a soul. And your soul will live on. They can kill your body, but they can't kill your soul. The one you should fear is him who is able to destroy. The Greek word is ruin both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, do not fear you are of more value than many sparrows. 32. Everyone therefore who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his household. Remember I told you that in the David, Saul, Jonathan story, the gospel and the Messiah and his followers are all emerging in the shadows. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me 
receives him who sent me. Go back to 1 Samuel 20. Here's a question. Have you decided to follow him? You know, this is the Jesus of the Bible. These passages are just as true as John 3.16. It's what he asks of us, to be faithful. To be faithful to the covenant in which we stand. Then Jonathan arose, this is 1 Samuel 20.34, from the table in fierce anger. He's upset. He did not eat food on the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. That's interesting language. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Listen to this. Remember the word I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Now it came about in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field for the appointment with David, and a little lad was with him. I don't know who the boy is, maybe a little uh, servant boy, not sure. And he said to his lad, run, find now the arrows which I'm about to shoot. As the lad was running, he shot an arrow past him. When the lad reached the place of the arrow, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the lad and he said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the lad, hurry, be quick, do not stay. And Jonathan's lad picked up the arrow and came to his master. But the lad was not aware of anything. Only Jonathan and David knew about the matter. In code language, just to make sure that David was safe and Jonathan as well, he goes out to the field for some target practice. He brings the little lad as someone who can fetch the arrows and be somewhat of a witness. He shoots the arrows past him. David's hiding somewhere in the area. And he says, the arrow's behind you. Get out of town. <laughs> Loose translation. Get out of here and get out of here fast. He's a nut. <laughs> Michael Lance translation. Now, David had been waiting. And uh, we, don't, we don't get any insight from the Holy Spirit about David's reaction to the words that are shared, but I'm sure his heart sank. Uh, I'm going to leave everything now. I don't know what's going to happen to me. The little boy didn't know what was going on, so he grabs the arrows. He goes running back to his master. Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad. He said to him, go, bring them into the city. And when the lad was gone, David rose from the south side. And I want you to see, as we close this chapter, he fell on his face to the ground, and he bowed three times. Uh, David falls on his face. You know, uh, when Jesus was facing Gethsemane, um, the gospel writers tell us that he fell on his face to the ground three times and prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't know of any other occurrence in the Bible where you'll see 
someone bow before somebody else three times like this. It tells you something of David's humility, of his gratefulness for Jonathan. And they kissed each other. Um, This would be something like a holy kiss. By the way, it does go all the way back to the Old Testament. And they wept together, but David wept more. It was a very emotional moment because I think they both knew what was at stake here and what this was going to mean. The kiss in this culture is not unusual. In fact, Samuel kissed Saul when he anointed him as king in chapter 10, verse 1. We see this in Genesis 27, 26. In fact, what's interesting about the kiss is even Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And the Greek tense of the language, when, when Judas says, the one I kiss, that's him, is the idea is that when he, when he goes up to him and he kisses him and he tells him, hail rabbi, he kisses him over and over and over again. It's like he kissed him, hail rabbi, and he kissed him again and again. And Jesus said to Judas, do you betray the son of man? With a kiss. Remember how I told you Sunday that some people think the holy kiss may go all the way back to Jesus? This was a cultural thing. There's some people who look at the Bible today and they say, oh, there's some, some weird going on with Jonathan. And No, this was a cultural thing. These are two warriors who love each other as friends. And all over the New Testament, we can see it in uh, Luke 7.45, Jesus says, uh, the woman has not stopped kissing my feet since the time I came in here, but you didn't even give me a kiss when I came into your home. It's a Hebrew cultural thing, you guys. Romans 16, 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, 1 Thessalonians 5, 26, and 1 Peter 5, 14, all tell brothers and sisters to greet each other with a holy kiss. Ironically, Psalm 2 says, kiss the son, verse 12, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. A kiss is also a symbolic of paying homage, like you would kiss the ring of a king and that kind of thing. 42. And Jonathan said to David, Go in shalom. Go in peace. Go in safety. Inasmuch as we have sworn to each other, In the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord will be between me and you, and between my descendants and your descendants, notice, forever. Then he rose and departed while Jonathan went into the city. Uh, David departed to his future. Jonathan (laughs) had to go back home. Wow. And off goes David. In this case, not into a sunset, but into some rough years ahead. And the greeting, the the departure, actually the farewell is shalom. May the Lord give you peace. Father, thank you for these friends that show us what loyal love looks like. They show us the love of covenant, the love of hesed, the love of faithfulness. Lord, you have been faithful to us.
to the uttermost. You loved us to the end. You said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Be of good cheer in this world. You will have tribulation. (laughs) But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Lord, thank you that you were faithful to the covenant that you made. That you died that we might live. You are called the God of peace and you tell us to go into peace because we know you. You seal that covenant in your blood. You laid down your life for us. But you have something that you require of new covenant Christians. You say, I took my cross for you. Now take your cross for me. Lord, this is the love of covenant, and sometimes we think it's only one way, but you've done the majority, you've done all the work, actually, but we still have some work to do. We need to respond to the new covenant in your blood. We don't do it by works. We're saved by grace. You've done it all, but yet we need to respond to that covenant with faithfulness, with loyalty, with truth. Lord, sometimes in our culture, it feels like a promise isn't worth the piece of paper it's written on or the lips from which it is spoken. Let us be people of covenant. Let us be faithful people. This was not easy for Jonathan and David. This was some of the hardest stuff of life. Torn between family and loss and even death. But may we be found faithful, Lord. We know you're going to give us the strength to face whatever we go through in this life. We know some things are going to be easier than others. But because you were faithful to us and are faithful, may we be found faithful. Thank you for your grace when we make mistakes, Lord. Because we do. We all fall short. We all sometimes fail to live up to our own expectations. Thank you that your grace is sufficient for every failure, every time we fall short. But may we never use grace as an excuse for sin. May we be people who grow up and are found faithful. Men and women of our word, men and women who are true to their covenants, because that's the God we serve. And in David and Jonathan, we find Such a glorious picture of what it looks like to say, I will be committed to you and to our God. Thank you, Lord, for that. If you've not made that commitment to Christ tonight, now would be the time to say, Lord, I will come into that new covenant with you through your blood, through your sacrifice. I trust in you. Trust in your death on the cross and your resurrection. Maybe you need to renew, renew that commitment tonight afresh. Say, Lord, I want to be faithful. I, be, I want to be a man, woman of my word. And if you just need some extra grace tonight, his grace will continue to be poured out upon all of us because we are his bride, his church. He made a covenant of love to you He said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. 
He will be faithful to the end, so hold on, saint. He will see you through. Just keep leaning upon him with the good times and the bad. Father, we love you tonight. We praise you for your word. And we just pray that you would work in our hearts tonight to build faith, build strength and character in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you about a new book that has just come out that I've written. It's called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, A Revealing Look at God's Armor. What this book is really about, it's written in a devotional style, and it's written to help you, the believer, to put on the full armor of God. One of the things that the armor of God speaks of is protection. And God has provided you armor to protect you against the typical ways that the enemy attacks. You have a belt of truth because the enemy is a liar. Each piece of armor is custom made to help you in the typical ways that the enemy attacks. Each piece of armor reflects God himself. He's the God of truth. He's righteous. He's the God of peace. All the pieces of the armor point to him. And they point to his provision to you, the believer, because he loves you. The reason God wants to protect you is because he's your father. He knows about the spiritual battle. He knows about the enemy. And he knows how you can be best protected and stand strong against temptation. Suit up, putting on the full armor of God. It's now available on Amazon. I want to get this book in your hands because I believe it's going to help you as a Christian to walk in strength, to know how to put on the armor daily, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, and to experience more victory in your Christian life. Right now you can get it on Amazon. It's Suit Up by Pastor Michael Lance. I would urge you to get the book today. If you want to give a donation directly to Living Truth Radio, send us an email and we'll get the book into your hands as our gift to you for a donation to the radio ministry. LivingTruthRadio.org is the radio website. Thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio. And, you know, when we're doing radio, folks, um, it's a little hard to tell who's listening. And we'd like to be able to uh, hear from our listening audience. And we're not asking for anything other than just drop us an email and let us know uh, if the program has been a blessing to you. We'd certainly like to hear from you. We're always looking how to best spend our stewardship dollars in terms of the ministry of radio. And so we'd like to know uh, how we're doing. And drop the email to office at livingtruthcorona.org. That's office at livingtruthcorona.org. And just let us know who you are and if you've been listening, if the program's been a blessing to you. That would really help us out, and that would be a blessing to us just to hear from some of our radio listeners. So again, drop an email to office at livingtruthcorona.org. Thank you so much for listening and praying for us and supporting us if you can. And we uh, are very appreciative of the body of Christ and pray that the Lord will bless you and your family. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.